Welcome to Don't Give Up on Testicular Cancer, where cancer survivors, caregivers, and others touched by cancer share their stories. The Max Mallory Foundation presents this podcast in honor and memory of Max Mallory, who died at age 22 from testicular cancer. I'm your host, Joyce Lofstrom, a young adult and adult cancer survivor, and Max's mom. Hi, this is Joyce, and with me today for our podcast is Tom Wilner. Tom is a testicular cancer survivor. He's also a very creative man with lots of interesting things he's going to be able to tell us about along his journey. So, Tom, thanks for being here. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you, Joyce. So I always like to start and just ask our guests to explain and talk about their individual cancer journey, uh, what happened, when, anything you would like to share. Sure. Yeah. Well, this is going to give away my age a little bit here, but uh, I was diagnosed with testicular cancer last century. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But uh, uh, yeah, so it was it was uh, 1999, and uh, right before it happened, you know, life was good. I uh, I was uh, my wife and I were dinks, you know, dual income, no kids. We would would travel, worked hard. We were talking about starting a family, and then one day I discovered a lump, and you know, I I was kind of in denial. I I said yeah yeah I'll I'll set something up and after a few days when I didn't my wife set something up for me with the urologist and it turned out after you know I got the biopsy that it was testicular cancer I had to uh I I had some suspect masses around uh in my abdomen so uh we decided to go kind of an uh, uh, aggressive. I was uh, 30, 30 years old, actually. It was right around my birthday, my 30th birthday that, that I discovered mm-hmm. this. So we decided to do the retroperitoneal lymph node dissection, uh, RPLND, knowing that you know there's some side effects, potential side effects from that, that we might not be able to have children naturally. Uh, you know, some fertility issues. So I made several deposits at the fertility clinic and then had the surgery. And uh, up until that point, that was probably my my worst, you know, or I should say maybe my uh, uh, most difficult experience I've been through in my life. But when it was done about a week, you know, a little, little less than a week in the hospital, the biopsies from those masses came back clean and I thought I was done. So I started to go back to my normal life and do follow-up screenings, but you know I definitely had changed. I did find out I had lack of emission from uh, from the surgery, a side effect, so I could no longer uh, you know conceive naturally, conceive children naturally, and I kind of had an identity crisis, you know, sort of about my my manhood. I I grew this big grizzly Adams beard for the first time in my life, and my wife and I, (laughs) I, I had long hair at the time and I ended up, uh, cutting it off because I could, I could cut off a large enough piece that I could donate it to to wigs for kids for, you know, kids who were going through, uh, chemotherapy and stuff and be able to, you know, try to look normal. So I did that. And and at the same time, I actually bleached my hair blonde. Oh my, that's great. (laughs) So I was I was a hit at you know uh, at work and at the a salon. My my wife was uh, 
My well, uh, my wife said it, it was kind of neat because it was like getting to sleep with this new guy. <laughs> and uh, a friend of mine said, "Wow, if, uh, if if this is what you do, I want to I want to be there for your midlife crisis." Oh, that's great! I love <laughs> that. So, unfortunately, about um, six months in, uh, I went to one of my regular CT scans and and had a metastasis in my lung. So everything changed again. Um, I ended up getting a lung thoracotomy and wedge resection. And, uh, and then I started chemotherapy and it was funny after going through all those major surgeries, I mentioned before, it seemed like the worst thing in my life. Then I did chemo and, and I decided, nope, I would much rather have the the surgeries. Now we decided actually to start, uh, an in vitro fertilization during all of this as well. So while I was going through chemo, my wife got, was pregnant from IVF. So basically we were, uh, both of us walking around with nausea and, uh, morning sickness, you know, so we were, we were definitely the, the couple you did not want to hang out with. <laughs> That's a lot though to deal yeah. with. It. Yeah, yeah, it is. But anyway, overall, the whole ordeal lasted about a year from diagnosis to treatment. Fortunately, I've been, uh, clean ever since, although I have never felt comfortable using the term cured. I would agree with cancer. I think all of us, I'm a cancer survivor too. I think we all want to use that. It's always in the back of your mind what might happen again. So, uh, well, I have to say, I think dealing with it the way you did is it helps you get through it, dyeing your hair, growing the beard. Yeah. Um, And that surgery, the RPLND surgery, my son Max had it and it's brutal. It's very hard to recover from. I wanted to ask you, because I listened to one of your interviews or read one of the stories about you. And how did you pick a doctor? Because you mentioned that in the one interview that I saw. And I think that's important for listeners to understand how to pick a doctor, find the right doctor for this type of cancer. Yeah, that's a, a really good question, actually. We're fortunate. We're, uh, we live in Atlanta and we have the Emory Healthcare System here, you know, which is a uh, a, a teaching hospital, right? So there's research going on as well as providing healthcare. So um, we felt really good and basically have been using Emory, um, you know, since that, uh, ever since. But, you know, I think wherever you are and whatever access that you have, I think it's it's important to kind of do your own research and know um what options you have. Uh, I remember at the time, and, and I was, you know, like I said, we were very uh, pleased with our, our care there. And, um, but I, I do remember one, one thing that I actually, we both thought pretty long and hard about at the time was for the RPLND, they just had come out with the nerve sparing technique so that you could potentially, you know, avoid the situation that I ended up with. But very few people in the country actually knew it and did it. And we, we decided to stay, we really liked, and I'm, I'm friends to this day with my, uh, urologist, but, uh, we decided to, to stay and, and, uh, you know, have my treatment done here. But I do occasionally wonder if, you know, if I had traveled for that RPLND and he said, you know, he, my, my doctor was perfectly okay with that to do the nerve sparing technique. My life would have been considerably different. I, I wouldn't change it. You know, looking back, I've been very fortunate, but um, 
but yeah, I, I think it's important to find somebody that you uh, feel will give you quality treatment and that you feel comfortable with. Uh, so, you know, we've always, if we, if we see a doctor and it's, and, and, you know, you don't feel right, you don't feel like you're getting the care that you, you need by all means, get a second opinion, go to somebody else, you know, and, and, uh, make sure that you're taking care of yourself. I think the days like with my parents, with having, a um, you know, you, you go to the doctor and listen to what he says or what she says. Um, I think this, uh, uh, now, the way healthcare is, at least uh, here, it, you, you're kind of in charge of your own health. You know, you need to, you need to, to, um, to be your own uh, advocate and and find what you need. I agree, and I think uh, I know for us too. We searched to find the right place to go, the right physician that had the experience to do the RPL and D and whatever else you have to deal with. So. Right. You're lucky with uh, having Emory there in, in your area as a teaching hospital. So Agreed. So you've kind of touched on this, and there may not be more to add, but if you have anything else about the fertility and I guess maybe the the fear, but then the outcome of being able to still have children. And I mean, anything else that you and Allison talked about or anything you could share that might help listeners who have to face that same situation? Sure. Yeah. You know, I've met a number of uh, testicular cancer patients and survivors since, you know, the, the ages range. So uh, there are often, you know, we were already talking about having kids and, and we were married and, and, you know, that was kind of top of mind. So there was no question in my mind that before I got any kind of surgery or chemo that I was going to, going to go to a fertility clinic. But I think if, you know, you're 17, that probably isn't the first thing you're thinking of. I would highly recommend that you do anyway, because you never know how your life is going to change down the road. Right. So I think that was one. I think as you, uh, uh, you know, as we talked about before, it definitely affected my my identity. You know, my self image, right. my, my manhood. So it's it is something that is tricky to deal with. But I will say, I th- I suppose as it turned out, you know, we we that first IVF, I had my uh, we had our daughter Clara. Three years later, uh, we did another IVF and had my son Elliot. And then five years after that, we did a frozen embryo transfer for, for you know, using some of the embryos that were created uh, during the time when we had Elliot and we had our son, Miles. So, uh, you know, we were very fortunate that this all worked out and, and you know, that we were able to, to do that three times and they worked. Right. And uh, it's funny, my, my wife likes to call our third, Miles, likes to call him our bonus Miles. <laughs> that's great. Oh, I, very, yeah. I like to say that he's, you know, he's, he's pretty laid back kid. And so I, I like to call him chill because, you know, he was frozen for five years. So, <laughs> and, and last but not least, whenever I need one of those icebreakers, you know, at, at uh, some event, I typically tell them that my, uh, my two sons are technically fraternal twins, but they were five years apart. Okay. They were both created at the same time. So, 
Um, it's kind of funny to look at. I, I know that they're not identical twins, but they look remarkably similar. So it's kind of kind of funny. Well, I think you bring up many good points. Uh, one that you were able to get this done in three tries and it worked. And yeah. I know not everybody has that, but it's it's wonderful that you did. And I think also the touch of humor and sometimes dealing with things that are unexpected or cancer. I mean, it's, it helps to be able to do that, you know, and, and look at it in that way. So I, uh, I'm glad you share that. I think it's, I commend you for, for doing that. Uh, yeah, I'm sure thank your you. kids enjoy it too. So it's so true. I was about to go with a friend to a class about how to do stand up comedy. And then I ended up getting diagnosed with cancer. And I remember she said, she went to the event and they said, well, you know, where's uh, Tom Wilner? Does anybody know? And she said, oh yeah, that's my friend. Um, he couldn't make it. He got cancer. And they were like, ha ha. Oh, you're, you're serious. <laughs> so. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. They thought she was joking. It was a it was a, a comedy class after all. Yeah, per, yeah, appropriate for that class. Yeah, so, yeah, um, yeah. I think humor is is you know, God, if he if he can't you know, uh, it, it, laughter is the best medicine, right? So yes, I agree. So that is a great segue to my question about your musical and your creativity, which I just I don't know what to say, Tom. I just think it's so impressive and the many different things you've done that not only for yourself but to help others and. So I guess the first one is about the musical that you wrote called Turning 30. And you wrote the music and the script, correct? And then you've performed it as well. Can you talk about that? Sure. Yeah. So, so you know, I'm a musician as well and not unfortunately not full-time, but definitely sort of semi-professional. And so, of course, one of the things that I used while I was getting through it, I was journaling every day and and I was writing songs about it. Um, and I had this um, sort of the, the first time ever, this like an epiphany one day, this, this top down thing that just kind of came to me, flowed through me, felt more accurate that I, I pulled out my journal and I wrote turning 30 at the top. And then I wrote the names of almost all the characters and probably about seven song titles right on the spot. And from that day forward, during my uh, treatment, th that was my catharsis. I was working on expressing myself through this music. And I've, I've never written a musical before. I've written many songs, but but not a musical. And so I decided that that's what I was going to do. That's that was I was going to do that while I was going through it. So the whole thing is very, very honest, very raw, um, but also artistic. You know, I, I definitely take some artistic license in, in how I do things. My, you know, chemotherapist uh, became a wizard. Um, oh, I like that. Oh. Yeah. Uh, you know the the magic potion. He had the magic potion, and so all all sorts of uh, uh, things like that on on ways to sort of uh, portray what you know what I was feeling and going through at the time. And basically, uh, like you mentioned, um, I, it was funny for a long time. I didn't, you know, I, I submitted to a few local theaters. I had some interest, but nothing ever materialized. And then finally, I decided I wanted to to put one on myself. So I found a fellow 
uh, cancer survivor, prostate cancer survivor who said, you know, I'm in, he was, he was, uh, somebody who worked in theater. And so he helped me uh, stage it. I got, you know, uh, musicians and actors, mostly friends and, you know, talented folks that I knew that I had been playing with for a while. Um, and we did a staged reading. In fact, I ultimately did five different staged readings. Four of them was, you know, I was playing the main character and, and, you know, uh, playing the piano and, and singing. And then the last one, I actually raised money for a professional workshop. And so I got to hire a, a, a musical director, uh, you know, um, a director, uh, a hire, you know, uh, actors and, and professional actors, professional musicians. And, you know, we spent the week, uh, tweaking the play and, and, you know, and then doing a showcase for local theaters. I did get even more interest at that point, but what actually ended up uh, uh, happening was, you know, during one of the, during that work uh, workshop, one of the actors said, you know, y- you should do this show to teach like upcoming doctors and, and nurses and such at teaching hospitals. I think it would be great for them to hear, you know, this, what the patient experience was like. And I thought it was a great idea. Again, I didn't do anything with it for a little while, but then I got a call from a social worker who had her own business doing, her name's Ann McSweeney, who was doing um, continuing education classes uh, for uh, healthcare workers. And interestingly enough, she had, uh, she liked to do kind of creative classes and uh, she had a woman who did a, um, a, a, a one person show about end of life issues and she uh, got appendicitis and could not do the event. It was only three weeks away. So Anne had seen a story about me in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution in the paper and uh, years back and called me, you know, Googled me, found my number and, and called me. And uh, um, I ended up, uh, uh, you know, working with her. We had great synergy. The, the event was uh, um, terrific. It went, it was really well received. There were over a hundred people signed up for the, for the event and so ultimately, we ended up starting a business together called uh, Center Stage Education, where we use the musical and you know storytelling um, about my experience to teach about the patient experience and about clinical empathy. You know, you are so on target with that right now with medical education. Uh, it's just to listen to this about, it must be really fun to watch this as well as learn at the same time. And I think... The whole thing of listening to the patient and understanding the patient and what that person needs, uh, it, it, I think it is now, I, hopefully it is a big part of you know medical school. Uh, if not, it needs to be. That's my editorial comment. So do you still perform this if people ask or? Yeah, actually, we do a variety of different you know presentations through that. So uh, and and we have talked about potentially doing another sort of full staged uh, uh, production of it at some point, um, but for the most part, I do a a, a one man show, um, and I've done you know the whole show uh, that way, uh, and then we have discussions about um, you know what what that was like and what I went through and and 
and of course, Anne being the social worker can really tie it back to, you know, critical, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, continuing education sort of, um, uh, uh, goals for the, for, you know, what we're trying to teach. Um, but we've also done a different, a, a variety of things. So we'll, you know, I'll tell my story and intersperse it with some songs. We'll, we'll talk about different aspects of the patient experience. I mean, one time we've even done it for the obesity medicine foundation. Uh, and we were, uh, the keynote at their annual conference, so you know it it didn't even have to be cancer because the the patient experience can be uh you know a lot of things are very similar across any type of uh disease or illness so um it's yeah it's been it's been great to be able to to use it in that way and so each one of those there's at least a portion of the musical that you know is and and I definitely like to explore the arc of the story, you know, using music through, through that, uh, those events. That's wonderful. And just to repeat, the name of your company is tell Cent- us center yeah. stage, center stage education. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, I, I'm thinking of who I can recommend it to. I have some ideas. So anyway, I appreciate uh, <laughs> that. It's, uh, we have uh, you know, shameless plug centerstageeducation.com. Okay. Good. No, I wanted to, I think it's great. And I, I, it's so different, you know, in terms of how people could learn from it. So I, I think it's a great opportunity. So yeah, thank you. one more, I know you've written a book. I think it came out in 2018, having a ball at 30. How I Got Through Cancer by Writing a Musical. So tell us about your book. Yeah. So I, as I started to do these, you know, uh, speaking and performing engagements about, about my experience, um, I, I kind of wanted to have something that got behind the scenes because the, the musical really tells, you know, uh, the story through this, this artistic, in this artistic way. Right. And, and really hopefully drives home the, the emotions and everything through through music, but I did want to also tell what it was like going through it and and you know writing the songs and everything. In fact, I like to say you know I guess it it wasn't it, it was because it just wasn't enough to write a musical about my experience with cancer. I had to write a book about writing a musical about my experience with cancer. There you go. <laughs> it's very meta, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, I I literally went through. I had journals. I was journaling nearly every day as I went through this and I wrote the songs in my journals. That's, you know, where I was, was doing all of this. And so I went back to them and I decided to write the book. Each chapter is, is about a song and they are in the order that I wrote them, which is not the same order as they appear in the musical. Um, it's what was going through my mind at the time. And so I, I read all, I reread all this stuff. It was, it was, uh, emotional and, and sometimes difficult to go through. It was a little bit of reliving it. Um, but I wanted to share what was going on in my life at the time and why I wrote that song and, and, you know, how it, how it helped. What was it that, you know, what, what, what was happening in, I guess, a, a different perspective to that patient experience. And I even include, you know, pictures of myself at the time as a patient and, you know, going through the different procedures and, and chemo and, and 
pages from my journal, little examples of what was going on. So yeah, so that was, I, I really kind of wanted to have something that that really explored um, the behind the scenes. And, and I also know, you know, I have, I have, uh, some friends who are not big fans of, of musicals just in general, but they do read. So I thought, well, you know, there's <laughs> more than one way to get the message out. Yeah. I live with somebody like that too. I love musicals, but not everybody uh, does. So, yeah. but I think you make a good point Tom, about what you were doing when you're going through the treatment and, to be able to put your mind somewhere else instead of sitting there thinking about I'm getting chemo, I, I think that's uh, maybe a tip that people might want to consider if you if you feel good enough to do that. Not everybody does, I guess, but right. that's a good way to kind of use your energy and uh, perhaps your creativity at the same time. Yeah, whatever you know, whatever your interests are, and and whatever ways you find, you know, maybe maybe it's going to a, a support group and talking with other people, maybe it's journaling, maybe it's you know writing something or painting or whatever it might be. I I found it to be incredibly cathartic as I was going through it. So what are you doing now? Uh, I know the music is part of you and what you, you know, it's still there, still what you want to do if people want to hear it or have you teach it, but what else are you doing? Well, so uh, right now, you know, for my, uh, most of my career, my, my main, my main job, my main source of income has always been technology. And so I did spend uh, appropriately enough a long time um, with the American Cancer Society doing um, technology there. And you know, I'm very proud of some of the things uh, I was able to accomplish there. In fact, uh, there was also um, I, I used my music there as well, uh, you know, to help uh, raise raise money uh, for the cause. And I worked on you know our the, the call centers and the website to help you know millions of people online get the cancer information that they they needed. But now I have more recently moved into higher education. So I really love working for Georgia State University and, you know, we're considered one of the most innovative in the country uh, in terms of kind of use of technology to, to help students succeed, to help them graduate. So, you know, that's kind of what I do by day. And, uh, and I have center stage education that I'm, you know, as, as kind of an outlet for uh, my, my, uh, uh, music and you know being able to to talk about you know probably one of the most critical uh, and influential parts of my life uh, and hopefully you know help people through that and and right now I'm I'm uh, pursuing a master's degree in education because I think there's sort of an education uh, bent through most of what I've done with my uh, career and hoping to eventually get a get a doctorate so. That's kind of what I've been been up to. I think that's wonderful, and I will say I had have done some adjunct teaching in public relations. That's my background, and I really, really enjoyed it. I I think being close to and connecting with students uh, is one of the most uh, valuable things I've done in my career. I I don't teach any longer, and I had thought about a PhD as well. So I commend you uh, to for doing that. I think it's learning like that it's you know the phrase lifelong learning but it's very yeah. true 
you know, there's so much still to learn uh, and, and to act on. So uh, I have one more question. And that question is just what would you recommend or say to any young man who might think he has testicular cancer or has it and is trying to deal with it? Do you have any advice that you would like to share? Yeah, I think if if you think that you may have it, my biggest piece of advice would be don't wait. Um, get it checked out. The earlier, the better. I, I, I was definitely one of those people who was sort of in denial and was thinking, yeah, there's something weird going on down there. I'll get to it. Um, but that's probably the worst thing you can do. Um, and it turns out mine was pretty uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, uh, aggressive. It was a pretty aggressive yeah. tumor. Um, so if I had waited too long, it probably would have spread even more than it did. Obviously, the earlier that you go, it will literally be um, better for your your potential outcomes as well as how much disruption in your life, right? If I had gone perhaps even earlier, and and I didn't wait that long, it was maybe only a few weeks after I discovered it to the point where I actually went to the doctor, you know, if I could have avoided the metastasis, right? That might have been, uh, uh, you know, would have that would have been a pretty life changing improvement. Um, so anyway, that would be my advice to anybody who notices something there and, well, and is, oh, is unsure. Yeah. No, I interrupted you. So go ahead. I'm oh, sorry. No, that's okay. I was, I was just going to say, if, if you already have testicular cancer, I would say, you know, uh, a lot of the things that we've already discussed, you know, try to, to you know, keep, keep pressing forward, keep doing what, you know, uh, uh, look at what you need to do, look for, uh, help anywhere that you can find it and know that there's been like, for me, it was 20 years ago that I was treated and I've since been to conferences and stuff and, and have learned a lot about what's available now and it keeps getting better, right? The survival rates are, are improving. The treatments are less invasive. You know, I think, uh, I lost my father to cancer. My, my sister as a cancer survivor. I just, I know so many people touched by cancer. And I think the number one thing is, you know, just keep living your life and do everything you can to, to, uh, to get through it and, and whatever you can do to prolong your life and the quality of it. That's great advice. And I think it's a, a good point to end on. And I just want to say thank you for taking the time to join me and talk about your journey and the different things that you've done uh, with your musical and your business. So uh, wish wish you the best and maybe come back if there's more happening with some of your uh, musicals or books. So I would love to. Thank you so much, Joyce. It was a okay. pleasure talking with you. Uh, same here, Tom. Thanks. Thanks so much for joining me today on Don't Give Up on Testicular Cancer from the Max Mallory Foundation. We have a website and it's at maxmalloryfoundation.com where you can learn more about testicular cancer, donate, and also send your ideas for guests on the podcast. And for spelling, Mallory is M-A-L-L-O-R-Y. Please join me next time for Don't Give Up on Testicular Cancer.